Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. It is great to be back. We took off a little bit there so that Paula could work on a personal project, and I know personally that when she wants to work on something, she needs about 100% into it to get 100% out. Heck, we see that week in and week out over these past years. Now, I may be a little bit too biased, and she might be a little too humble to admit, but having her deliver these episodes to us is a treat because we get a professional award-winning journalist discussing Ohio mysteries and histories with us that no other podcasts have. If you agree with me that we have something unique and special by having one of the hardest-working retired journalists out there, then consider supporting us, consider supporting our podcast. There are many ways that a listener can help out. Number one, go to patreon.com slash Ohio mysteries and consider becoming a member. Go to ohiomysteries.com and select the PayPal but donate button. Leave a five-star review of our podcast. Send ideas and stories to feedback at ohiomysteries.com. And lastly, but most importantly, tell a friend and family member out there about us. I've even helped people find us by putting it on their phone and subscribing. Now, we have something very special tonight. A fantastic story out of Prague, Czechoslovakia. Now, what does that have to do with Ohio? Well, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. We've got a special episode for you tonight. Let me introduce you to Mark Baker, an Ohio native who has been living in Europe for decades now as a travel writer. He's currently based in Prague, 
the capital of the Czech Republic, for those of right. you who are geographically challenged. <laughs> okay. Welcome, Mark. Okay, How's thank you. Oh, it's terrible. It's a little bit like Ohio about this time of year. It's cold and kind of between snow and rain somewhere. Oh, very similar. Very you know, similar. I'm really wishing I could trade places with you for a few days because I've been working on my family tree. And just recently, I was able to trace them to the 1600s when they were shepherds in Bohemia. Oh, okay. Very close <laughs> to where they, I am. I mean, yeah, right which in the middle of Bohemia. for the World History Challenge is a form right. of the Czech Republic, or at least That's part right. of Exactly. So now wow. I'm desperate to get over there and check it out. I okay, hear it's beautiful. Well. Welcome. Yeah. Well, fi tell me what village, and uh, and I'll give you some more information if I can figure when it out. I, when I'm done, I will look up the names. I'm sure I'll pronounce them oh, wrong. I'll super. look them up for okay. you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> but of course, this is not why we have you on the line today. So, folks, in addition to writing articles and books, Mark maintains a blog, and right now he's in the midst of releasing a five-part series in which he shares details about a rather stunning surprise that he learned just a few months ago. Mark, we're going to let you do the honors in a sentence. Tell our listeners what this revelation was. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, uh, I discovered very recently that when I was a journalist in Czechoslovakia in the 1980s, when it was part of the Eastern Bloc, Communist Eastern Bloc, that the Czechoslovak secret police were surveilling me, keeping a file on me, and were actually planning to try to recruit me as a Czechoslovak agent. It blew me away. I knew nothing about this. I, I can't even imagine the emotions you went through when you, especially when you finally got to look at your top secret file. Yes. And those surveillance photos. Oh, it was chilling. It was absolutely chilling. I mean, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I saw myself standing in random squares in Prague in 1989, 1988, and uh, not even being able to connect any memory at all to that moment, you know. But thanks to the Czechoslovak secret police, I now have a very good idea of exactly what I was doing now on you certain know what days. You were doing. Yes, the best remembered oh. days of my life are oh, in those my years. God. I can't wait to get into this, but first things first, we got to know more about you. Where did you grow up? Yes. Uh, well, I'm originally from the Youngstown area. I was born in Poland, Ohio, and uh, I grew up in Boardman, which is a big suburb south of Youngstown. I went to Boardman High School, graduated in the late 1970s, and then after that I went to school uh, for college at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. How did you end up doing travel journalism? Uh, it's it's a kind of convoluted story, but it really begins in Miami, at Miami University, actually, because, you know, as, as some of the listeners will probably know, they have this Luxembourg program that's pretty well known, and a lot of students at Miami end up spending a year or half a year in Luxembourg, and uh, I did that for my junior year when I was there, and um, that was my first exposure, really, to life outside of Ohio you know, in Luxembourg. And of course, we traveled during some of our field trips to places like Berlin, which was East Berlin at the time, and Moscow, which of course was the capital of the Soviet Union at that time. And I got a little bit of a taste of the division of Europe, that really strange division down the Iron Curtain between the Western half, the democratic part, and the Eastern part, the communist or the Soviet-led part. Um, anyway, um, 
that led me to a lot of different things. You asked me about travel writing. That was something I got into relatively recently, but it was really connected to that first step to come to Europe. I, I started in 2010. Now I write guidebooks and magazine articles for Fodors and Fromers, Lonely Planet, and National Geographic. Actually, that's my current job. So in the 80s, um, when we get to our story and you're being surveilled, you were right. working in Vienna at that time, right? Right, right, exactly. So after Miami, you know, I got that taste of Eastern Europe a little bit, so I decided to pursue it. So when I graduated from Miami, I decided to do a master's degree in international relations at uh, Columbia University. So that's where I went, in New York. And then after I graduated, with a, with a concentration in Eastern European studies, I have an institute there on that. And when I graduated, uh, I was lucky enough to land a job as a reporter and journalist in Vienna. And uh, so in 1986, in the summer of 86, I moved to Vienna from New York and started uh, my new job as a reporter uh, based in Vienna covering the Eastern Bloc. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, you ended up in the Czech Republic when? How long have you been living there? Uh, I lived in Vienna from 1986 to 1991. And, uh, and then in 1991, I moved up to Prague, and I stayed here more or less off and on through the 1990s. I went back to New York for a little while. I worked for Bloomberg Business News, and then I came back in the early 2000s, and I've been here more or less ever since. Do you get home very often? Do you still uh, I, have family in Ohio? Yes. Um, still have family in the Youngstown area all over the place there. Um, I get home about... Well, two or three times a year now, actually. I go home mostly for Christmas and try to get home at least once in the summertime. Okay. All right. And recently, you wrote a book. Yes. Um, uh, you know, I'm a travel writer, and as you can imagine, the pandemic was terrible for travel writing. Everything got canceled all of a sudden. You know, I mean, I, I all the book contracts that I'd signed for 2020 and 2021 just got wiped off, you know, the face of the earth. Um but I had an offer from a publisher here in the Czech Republic to write a book. You know, they had seen some stories on my blog, and this editor said, well, you know, you have some interesting stories. Why don't you tell us your experience of the 1980s, of the fall of communism, of course, in 1989, which was the big, the big historic event of, of our lives, I think, in this part of the world, and then a few years after 1989. And people here, Czech readers and Slovak readers, might appreciate seeing our history through the eyes of an outsider, of an American. And um, and so that's what I did. I wrote a book. Yeah, it's called Čas Promien. Uh, it means time of transformation or time of changes. It's about the late 80s and early 90s in, in Central and Eastern Europe. Um, I wrote the book in English, and then I worked with a translator, and we published the book in Czech in uh, July of 2021. So, a little, you know, almost two years ago now. Well, congratulations. That is, that's an amazing feat. Oh, I I'm, I'm admire anybody who can finish a book and get it published. So, <laughs> yes. good for you there. Yes, yes. And, you know, it was the book that really led to you learning that in the 1980s, yes. the government of Czechoslovakia yes. wanted to recruit you as a spy. Yes. Yes. So how did you learn this after uh, all these years? It is a crazy story, really crazy story. I mean, some listeners might think this can't be real. This honestly can't be real because it feels like a Netflix drama somehow, you know, and that was my life. Um, 
In my book, of course, I tell stories about what it was like to be a journalist in the 1980s, traveling to Czechoslovakia regularly to cover events uh, from Vienna. And, uh, and that's what I did. I, you know, I traveled here 10 or 12 times, something like that, in the late 1980s. Um, and, uh, of course, in the book, I wrote what I thought to be true at the time, that I did not have a surveillance file. Although, of course, we worked with local people, and I had a local translator. I wasn't sure whether that person was working for the government or not. You know, I suspected maybe, but I didn't have any real proof about that. And I had made some inquiries with the Czechoslovak or the Czech government now about whether I had a, a file or surveillance file. And each time they would tell me, no, Mr. Baker, you don't have any material with us. Either it got lost or it got destroyed somehow, or it never existed. We just don't know, but don't uh, don't worry about it. So that's what I wrote in my book, you know, that I worked with people uh, here on the ground that could have been working. I have some crazy stories back then during which I really feel like I was spied on, surveilled. My hotel rooms were broken into sometimes, you know, just harassment things. Um, but that I probably don't have a file. So uh, when the book was published, you know, it made a bit of a splash here, you know, in the local reading market, um, some good responses. And I sent copies of my book to people who helped me to write it. And one of them was an at academic at, a, at, a, at an institute here, history institute here, named Dr. Prokop Tomek. And I wrote to Dr. Tomek, thank you for your help in helping me write my book. Here is a copy of the book. I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, fast forward, I was home over Christmas time in 2021-2022 period, uh, just sitting uh, at home near Youngstown, hanging out with my parents, and I checked my inbox of my of my email address, and there was an, an email waiting for me from Dr. Tomek. And Dr. Tomek was writing, I thought, well, he's probably just writing to thank me for the book or whatever. So I opened the email, and, you know, it was about Chaspromen, but not in any way that I was expecting, nothing like that. said, so, you know, I got the book, thank you, I enjoyed it, you know, nice book, but... If you're going to revise it in the future, you might want to incorporate a few details that I found out. I decided to go back into the archives and see if you really did have a file. And when I did, I found one. You know, not only did I have a file, the Czechoslovak secret police had given me a code name and they had concocted this incredible operation to try to recruit me as an agent. And of course, I was home in Ohio when he sent me this email and he attached a few photographs just to prove that he was really telling me this story that was true. But he didn't go into too many details, but I'll tell you what he told me. Well, I'll summarize the, the email like in three sentences. He told me... Um, the Czechs, uh, the Czechs were interested in you, that they were surveilling you, that they had set up an operation to try to trap you with a female agent in Bratislava on a hotel room in November of 1989. The goal was to get you to spy on Americans in Vienna. They were recruiting me to spy on my own country. You know, they were trying to recruit me. And and that was it. He said, okay, we'll have a nice uh, vacation, have a nice trip, and, uh, you know, we'll come back. <laughs> And you're like, wait and we'll a minute. See you. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you when you come back to Prague, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and I was like, are you kidding me? What? I mean, I fell over in my chair when I read that. It was too much. And I tried to enjoy a vacation. I tried to enjoy Christmas. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, I have a file there? They were, or they were trying to do what? And, of course, my emotions would go up and down. You know, sometimes I'd be really happy about it. It's like, wow, I'm really going to find out what those guys were up to back then. And uh, the stories that I tell in my book, of course, you know, now I know that they have a real foundation. They're true. Um, and then on the other hand, I was thinking, ah, 
what if people I knew had reported on me? You know, what if my friends had reported on me or old girlfriends even or something like that? Or um, what if the file had been embellished or exaggerated or something? You know, these files are not objective pieces of, uh, of science. They're somebody's opinion and they can write anything they want in there. So there was some pride and some happiness in a way. I mean, if that's, that sounds like a strange word, but, you know, something like that. But at the same time, there was a lot of trepidation. Do I really want to get into this? You know, I mean, it was really a mixed emotion, you know. Oh yeah, I I would imagine you'd have a, a roller coaster of feelings oh, there. Oh my God. Explain to us a little bit about who exactly was after you. They were called the right. STB. Was yes. was this their CIA kind of yes. thing? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it, it was a combination of CIA and FBI, if you will, or something like that. I don't know exactly how you know the U.S. government is set up like this. But as you remember from those times, very different from now when, you know, the Czech Republic and Slovakia are both members of NATO and allies of the United States and everything. Back then, it was a very different relationship. Czechoslovakia was a hostile foreign government. And they were interested in me as an American, as an American journalist traveling into their country. Uh, the, 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 the STB stands for the State Security Police, and it was their job to compile information on any individual, whether they were domestic or foreign, that they perceived to be a threat to the ruling communist authorities. And these were surveillance states. I mean, they lived on surveillance. You know, I, you know, I wasn't the only person being spied on, of course. At that time, thousands and thousands of people were being spied on. You know, what makes my story unique is that I didn't even know I was being spied on. And they were trying to recruit me to spy on my own country, which was crazy. You know, you know, that was beyond the pale. But but the, the idea of having, being spied on having a file, that in itself was not necessarily unique. That was, you know, that was what the secret police did back then. Unique enough. <laughs> now, you knew a guy named Arnold back right. in the 80s. Right. And from your blog, I can tell he's pretty critical to this story. So why don't yes. you tell us who Arnold was? Right. Um, when I was reporting for Business International, that was the name of my company in, in Vienna. It was this small publishing outfit. We would write newsletters and magazines about Eastern European countries. Uh, for some reason, Czechoslovakia fell into my lap, although I didn't speak Czech at the time, and I didn't know that much about it. So to help me in my reporting, my company retained the services of a local individual named Arnold. He was a stringer. You know, his idea was to, or uh, yeah, a stringer fixer. Uh, his idea was to try to help me get my accommodation, arrange my meetings. Uh, since I didn't speak Czech, he was also my translator in some of these interviews that I would do, and basically helped me design my stories and my reporting. I mean, his support for me was critical to me being able to do my job. Um, you know, traveling from Vienna to Prague at the time, that was not easy. That was tough. You know, I mean, you had to. You had to apply for a visa. You had to wait in line for many hours at the embassy. You had to take the train up. The border crossings were a lot different than they are now. You would sit on the border for hours. The border police would ask a lot of questions. They'd be searching the train for contraband or people, you know, whatever. And having a person locally in Prague here to help me with the with my work was very important. Um, at the time... You know, I didn't know whether he was, uh, you know, report, you know, reporting to the secret police or something. I mean, you could make the assumption probably he was, but I didn't see him necessarily as an antagonist. We were working for the same company. And, you know, he was a colleague. So, you know, he's an older man. He's now deceased. Uh, he was in his 60s at the time or late 50s. Um, uh, 
I only found out later, a few uh, several years later, actually, when I found some information online about him that he might have been. In fact, he really was an informant, a paid informant with the secret police. And that's when I really got the idea that, wow, I might have my own file. And then, of course, I made my applications and was told I didn't. So what are you going to do? You know, I went, you know, when they told me I didn't have a file, I didn't have a file. Of course, I learned out later that was completely wrong. But yes, Arnold is critical to this because I believe that Arnold was the one who was who put me on the radar screen first, you know, my own work colleague, actually. And he's the person, I think, upon you know, whose observances are, you know, these files are based, more or less. Did you see him as a friend? I mean, were you guys close enough that you, like, did things after work? Or mm, Yes, I didn't know many people in Prague back then at all, you know, and I was 26, 27 when I was making these trips, and he was, you know, 59, 60-something like that. So we weren't friends. But yeah, after work, after the meetings were done, we would knock off to a pub and have a beer or two, or maybe go out to dinner and talk about things. So... You know, I thought they were just, you know, a way to kind of relax and, you know, chill out a little bit. He probably saw them as a great opportunity to do some, you know, paid research for his, for the other team, you know, so. Wow. Okay. So you, um. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I think I remember you said it was in 2012 that you decided to figure out what happened to him. You found right. out he died. You yes. found out he was a Czech collaborator. Yes. That's when you started looking to see whether you had a file. Yes. And yes. found exactly. out there wasn't. There was. And then it was only last year yes. that Dr. To- uh, did you Tomek. pronounce it? To- Tomek. Tomek yeah. Yeah. Um, told you, yeah, that you did. Yes. So now you want to go see that file. Yes. So yes. tell us a little bit about your trip to go see it. Right. Okay. Well, the files are kept in a in an archive building, as you can imagine. You know, it looks like a small library. There's a desk there. You go up and you give your uh, identity identity card, and you tell them what you want to see, and then um, and then they give you your pages. You know, and and it's in my case, it really was pages. A lot of my file is written on those blue notebooks. You know, that any college student will re- you know remember from writing our our essay exams or something in. Um, and then part of it was on a, a flash drive, you know, digital photographs of the papers, the actual papers. And then actually there were real, some real photographs. Um, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I mean, I was really, when I went there, I was really kind of nervous. I didn't know if I really wanted to see the file. Of course, I was very curious to see what was in it. Um, uh, but yeah, and that's, uh, and so Dr. Tomek actually went up to the window to get my paper files. You know, I was kind of like daydreaming or trying to meditate, get my mind out of that space a little bit. And then he tapped me on the shoulder, plumped the thing down, all the dust spatters all over the place. He goes, here, Mark, this is your file, you know, and then I looked at it <laughs> right on it top. It was like my, hundreds of pages, right? Yes. Right on my, right on the paper files were, you know, maybe a hundred pages, but in the digital files, there were many hundreds of pages. Yeah. But on the top of the file is my code name. It says object, like check object, or actually in English too, object, 
Inter, I-N-T-E-R. That was the code name that the STB had given me at that time. Inter was probably a shorthand reference to the company that I worked for, Business International. It could also have been the name of the hotel that they always wanted me to stay at when I stayed in Prague, which was the Intercontinental. So for whatever reason, Inter fit me, and that's the code name they gave me. So everywhere in the document, I'm not referred to as Mark or Mr. Baker. I'm referred to as Inter did this, Inter did that, Inter did this, Inter did that. It's... If you could pick a code name for yourself, <laughs> what would you swap out Inter for? Well, I'll tell you. Um, there's a very uh, there's a very um, uh, there's a very well known British academic named Timothy Gartnash. He wrote a lot of books about Eastern Europe, and he found his file in East Germany, and he found out that his code name was Romeo. And he was very, <laughs> he was very, very proud of that. I don't he know. got Romeo, you got <laughs> Inter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd so, never go to work for those people no, after yeah. that. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I can't, yeah, I mean, the emotions. I mean, what are you, as you're reading this file, uh, right. you know, it would have shaken my sense of personal right. security. I would have felt violated. I right. mean, did you, I mean, looking yes. back, did it have a yeah. lasting impact on how you felt about your personal uh, space? You know, it's funny, even as we do this interview now, I'm still kind of processing all the emotions and everything. I'll only really probably really have a good idea about how it all affected me a little bit later down the road after I have a chance to really go through it. Um, yes, uh, it, 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 it shook me up a little bit because... Again, as I told you earlier, I didn't want to find that there were people I really liked, you know, my friends or work colleagues that had reported on me. I think that would be really tough. Everybody's name in the file is hidden behind a code name. Not just me, or whether you worked for the STB or whether you were just like me, a prospective recruit, let's say, or you were an informant. You know, you were hidden behind a code name. So it's very difficult to tell the identities of all the people in the file. And, you know, occasionally I'll go back to the archives and say, can you tell me who this person was in real life so that I know whether they or whether or not I knew them? And so far, I haven't found anybody that I really was really close to back then, aside from Arnold, who uh, who you know contributed to this file. So that part is good, I think. You know, that is good. That that would have to be a relief. But let me tell you the most chilling story, Paula, that I got. You know, there's two. There's a couple of chilling stories. I'm sure we'll get to one of them. But I just want to share this one with you. One of the materials that. Uh, that Dr. Tomek sent me when I was home in Ohio over that Christmas, so a year ago or so, um, was a photograph of uh, a time I was in Prague in 1989, staying at a hotel, and uh, I guess the staff at the hotel was uh, keeping tabs on me, and they put together a pretty good, um, they put together a pretty good surveillance report on what I was doing, you know, coming and going, and all that stuff. During that time, I met another traveler, an American woman. Her name was Gabrielle. She told me she was from Chicago. She was really interesting. She was really smart. She was very attractive. We we just went all around Prague that 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 week, you know. And then on the last day of my stay, I couldn't meet her for some reason. I remember that she appears in my diary, just you know, here and there, little references. So you know, I was always aware of this person. I've never seen her or talked to her ever since that time. But I wrote her a little note. And I said, Gabrielle, I'm sorry I can't meet you on this trip. I'm going to have dinner. I think I was going to have dinner with Arnold that night. I'm going to have dinner with a friend, uh, and I have to go the next day. But if you ever come to Vienna, look me up, blah, 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 Mark. I asked the receptionist to put it in her mailbox. And uh, when I got back at the hotel that night, she didn't pick it up. So apparently I took the note back, and that was the last I ever thought about it. 
30 years later, Dr. Tomek sends me a report from the hotel, the hotel Paris that I was staying in. One of the photographs is of that note that I wrote to Gabrielle 30 years later. It came back to me like that. Wow. Just as I wrote it. I can't meet wow. you tonight if you ever come to Vienna. And that's when I realized they weren't fooling around. I mean, they were collecting everything, you know, I mean. Is there a chance she was part of this? I, I mean, thought for about them that. to take a picture of that note. I know. I thought about that. If she was an agent for them, they were very good. They were excellent. I mean, they were better than the CIA for sure. I mean, this person was an American girl from American woman, let's say from Chicago, you know, in her twenties yeah. somewhere. You know, I, I don't think she had anything to do with them. Just got caught up in this whole thing, you know. And but they didn't know who she was, and so they they thought if I'm trying to make contact with this person, they want to make sure they know what I'm saying to her. So they preserved. Do you it. remember her last name? Was there any hope no. of trying to track her down? No. It's not written in my diary, and it's not okay. written there. I really wish. All I know is if she's listening to Ohio Mysteries, maybe she lives in Toledo or something. That, you know. There you go. <laughs> and please <laughs> get in touch with me because I would really <laughs> like to, you know, jog my memory. Like, what did we do that week? It was a pretty exciting week for reporting. It was before the Berlin Wall fell and before the the of uh, the the um, the anti-communist revolution began here in in, in Czechoslovakia. So it was, but it was right. It was right in early. November. So we're talking days before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Now, I'm really intrigued. Uh, you wrote a little bit about this uh, on your blog, but how did the STB describe you? Who, who oh, were you through their painful, eyes? Painful, painful, painful. Is that hard? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, part of my evaluation was psychological evaluation. I think they wanted to know a few, they wanted to answer a few questions. They wanted to know, first of all, was I working for Western intelligence? You know, was I also CIA? Because uh, they didn't really know. They didn't know if Business International, this company, this little company in Vienna, might have been a front operation for somebody. Who knows? They, they, and my research tells me that they never did get the answer to that. You know, I mean, I can tell you the answer. It was not. But, um, but they didn't know that. So they wanted to answer that question first. Um, so... Um, so they subjected me to a lot of observation and even psychological observation, and they came up with this composite that I wrote about in my blog. And it's, it's I would say, the standard composite that you could say about almost any 26-year-old guy anywhere in the world, you know? I mean, um, they, they said things like, I, I don't work very hard in the morning, but I'm pretty good in the afternoon. You know, they, they saw that I was a perspective uh, that I had, uh, I, I, you know, they were probably more bullish on my career, you know, prospects than even I was at the time. Because they thought they saw a young guy who was rising up through the ranks and could someday be in a position at the BBC or the VOA or, or RFE, something, Radio Free Europe, something like that, that they could go on. But they also wanted to find my weaknesses, you know, like how could they maybe influence me or how could they maybe try to convince me to cooperate with them? And they came up with this crazy thing that, you know, I, you know, I'm looking at every woman on the street. I can't wait to meet another one, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, they had me, they, they, they said, in, there's one, there's one line in the in the in the psychological evaluation is uh, like uh, Inter. That's my name, of course. Inter has an eye for attractive women, but does not get many. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, it shows that they had a sense of humor, I suppose. But you know, when I read that, I thought, oh man. But you know, I, I, I in my in my defense, you know, if I may, if I may, um, when I went on these trips, you know, I realized that they were playing games, so I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't 
looking to make any types of crazy connections or anything like that. I really wanted to, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble with my career. I didn't certainly didn't want to get in trouble with my girlfriend at the time. I, you know, I wanted to play it completely down the line and that's what I did, you know? So, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of tools, obviously they were taking pictures of you. Did you have any evidence that they were like wiretapping or yes. did they yes. have, I mean, were they videotaping you in your hotel room? I yes. mean, what, what do you think no, they were doing? I, you know, um, definitely photogra- photography. They had uh, they assigned a person one day. It was on the June 29th, 1989, to surveil me every minute that I was basically awake from, you know, from waking up to going to sleep. What I was wearing what I was carrying, the color of my shoes, the color of my briefcase, you know, all these details. And not just what I was wearing, but everybody that was around me, what they were wearing, the color of their clothes, etc. Because they didn't want me to maybe swap my jacket with somebody or swap my briefcase with somebody. You know, that's the way that these things were, you know, were, were transferred. Um, so, um, so definitely that. Uh, and then there's some lines in my file that say uh, that have words like apparat, and 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 I later learned that these were code words for uh, audio surveillance, which would be on telephones and tapping, and then maybe video surveillance as well. But I've never seen any video of me, you know, in in that way. And video was kind of emerging technology then, so maybe there's not so much of that. Uh, I do know for the last operation in Bratislava, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, it they had set up. Uh, audio and video for my hotel room. Well, go ahead. It, this is a good segue into that. Tell oh, us about okay. that that whole situation uh, there. Right. Okay. Well, um, you know, after they had surveilled me for that day, that full day, and they determined that I didn't exhibit any sign of professional espionage intelligence, you know, I guess there's a certain way that spies act in the open that can reveal whether or not they're actually working for any. Anyway, with me, they didn't find any of that. Uh, and and all the other shenanigans that they that they went through to vet me, you know, so to speak. I think at some point they decided we're going to go for it, and that was this period, this um, right before the Berlin Wall fell, like just days before, during the same uh, reporting trip that I met Gabrielle and we were just talking about. What they had planned for me, this was, was two city trip. You know, I was going to go to Prague, and then from Prague, Arnold was going to drive both of us down to Bratislava which is in Slovakia, which at that time was the same country, Czechoslovakia, which is the other big city in the country. And um, I had no idea what was waiting for me down, the, down there, but the, the STB had set up uh, kind of a, a sting operation, so to speak, uh, like what they call a honey trap, I guess, you know, uh, in the lingo. Uh, we would stay the night, uh, Arnold and I, at this hotel called the Devin in Bratislava, quite nice hotel, it still exists. Um, and then during dinner, uh, a, a, you know, a, a Slovak agent named Ina um, would somehow waltz her way through our restaurant and, I don't know, somehow get invited to our table. And she and I would strike up a great conversation, hit it off immediately, maybe have some drinks. And, you know, you can imagine where this is going to go from there. And then they would, they would hope that that whole operation, you know, would wind up with some compromising material on me that they could possibly use to try to convince me to work with them. Um, yes. So that was, <laughs> that was the operation that I read about, you know, just now to, you made it to the yeah. hotel, right? Yes, right. But yeah. you didn't get to meet Ina. 
you know, ah, this is where my memory really fails me. You know, um, I remember going to the Devian. Uh, I remember staying. I remember my room. I remember hanging out with Arnold in the coffee bar. I'm sure we went to dinner that that evening. You know, uh, obviously they put us in separate rooms, so you know, I I had my own place. Um, it's very possible that Ina came to the table during the evening, during dinner. We had some beers, or we might have had dinner or some wine, you know. And then at some point in the evening, I looked at my watch and uh, said, you know, it was a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. You know, maybe we'll see each other again, but I've got a busy day tomorrow. You know, good night. And I'm pretty sure that that's really what happened. But no, I don't have any memories of, of, of Ina. And in the file, on the top of that operation, somebody has written, not realized in Czech, ne realizovana. So uh, even they realized that that, that that operation was never fully carried out. Okay, so all right. That's how it ended up. So this is, this is the end of the story. They right. never actually approached you to yes, be a spy. They never, yes, yes, and, and, and that's why I never knew anything about it for all of these years. And why did they not? Is it because the Berlin Wall fell and I don't know. this was going to be the end of the Cold War? Or? Yes. You know, the file, they don't seem to be that interested in the end of the Cold War in my file. Honestly, these guys are really much more con you know, concerned with getting this guy Baker into the operation and all this other stuff. So, you know, who knows why, why it ended. But the night that this Bratislava operation, this is why this is so Hollywood. You know, like they would, a, a director would reject this part of the script. It's like, this is out of control. That was exactly the same night, November 9th, 1989, that the Berlin Wall fell. Approximately the same moment that Ina was sitting at our table, probably batting her eyelashes at me, asking if she should have another glass of wine or something, you know? So it's very possible that, that they decided let's not just go through with it, let's call it off, you know, or this is doesn't have an, a thing, or like it could have happened, like I said it was, you know, um, you know, nice to meet you, but I've got a busy day tomorrow, and good night. So I don't know. But yes, the night of the sting was exactly the same night that the Berlin Wall fell, you know, and, you know, just crazy. Wow. Wow. Now, I mean, Will this news about yourself have any other repercussions? I mean, I, I mean, if it uh, were me, I'd be like, yeah. "Oh my God, uh -oh. the CIA come, come look at me now and wonder no. why the STP no. thought I was available." No. no, no, no. Just let me put it out there for your, for your, for the listeners' benefit. There was no way that I would ever have cooperated with those guys. I mean, they were the enemy. You know, I mean, I loved Czechoslovakia. I loved everybody. I liked, I liked my job. But I didn't like the system of government at all, you know, and I would not have supported it. And I don't think that they could have used any compromising information on me like that to convince me to do it. You know, I uh, I wasn't married. I had a girlfriend at the time, but we were in the process of re reconciling. And, um, you know, obviously it would have been highly embarrassing. It would have been terrible. I'd have had a lot of explaining to do both to her and my bosses. But I don't think it would have been anywhere near enough to get me to go to the other team, you know, for to be a spy. And also, think about the legal jeopardy that that would put me in, in into. You know, what am I going to send them reports about the U.S. Embassy in Vienna or something? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like, even know you that. You have much. to have access to the information for them to get it. So that's I didn't that's a question know too. So uh, this happened so many years ago. I don't think 
you know, I don't think it's going to have any repercussions for me personally, you know, at least I would hope not. Czech, Czech Republic and Slovakia, as I said earlier, both are, you know, some of our closest friends in Europe. So, you know, we're no longer enemies or anything like that anymore. We're friends. So, you know, I think that's all going to be fine. I think for me personally, it will have some repercussions because it gives me a lot more stories to tell from my book. It gives me another entry into my English edition, which I will publish, you know, eventually of Time of Transformation and some great stories. And if I go back to the Czech edition, then I can refresh it, you know. Um, and it's a big story here. Right after this interview, I'm going to meet another uh, a magazine editor for a big magazine here in Prague. They're interested in the story as well. So it's kind of breaking, you know, as we're doing this uh, as this, uh, this broadcast. Well, I'm, I'm glad there's a, a positive spin off of ah, this. They gave, me a great, they gave me a great story, a lot of worries and a great story, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to put a link to your blog in our episode notes and on our website so everybody can find it easily. It's at WordPress. It's um, you, what is, it's an easy, it's like Mark Baker Prague. Mark Baker, yeah, the, the URL is www, of course, and then markbakerprog.com, just one word, markbakerprog.com, yeah, mm-hmm. and you can it. find it. There's five uh, stories in all. Start at part one and go through part five, and you'll see the whole the whole crazy story. It's, you know. And you're releasing one a week, so a couple yeah. more weeks to go here. A couple here. more weeks, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, everything. Mark, thank up. you again for taking the time to share your story with oh, us. This, thank you so much. What a treat. I mean. Yes. How many times do we get to hear this kind of person <laughs> well, account? At first, at first I was worried that it wouldn't fit the Ohio mysteries part. And you said, well, you are from Ohio and it is a mystery. So, I mean, you know. This is- <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, I recommend your writing. Your writing is fresh. It's riveting. It's really, you know, the, the details really, I said earlier, I can't imagine what you were going through, but the truth is I can't imagine because yeah. You helped me imagine oh, in reading okay. it. Uh, it. It's a great blog, great okay. writing. Well, thank you very much. So I definitely it. go see that. Mark, let us know when you have another mystery. We'll bring you back. Okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully not too soon. Okay. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and all of our episodes, hop on over to OhioMysteries.com. Ohio Mysteries is proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to see more podcasts like ours, head on over to KillerPodcast.com. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.